pray for uh, those who have uh, been sick or exposed to COVID or have COVID, as in the case of Oriana uh, and her family. Also, thankful again that we can meet. Um, they looks like they may be thinking about coming back to worship. They have an air purifier there. They have another one up here. The guy told me, go ahead and use them. Uh, someone was in here playing the uh, organ. So that's certainly something that, I don't know, after nine months you think we could have access to uh, large facilities or nursing homes. UVC light kills a lot of things, for example, ultraviolet light. So That's what my prayer was about the politicians having to live in the real world. So... <clears throat> I think uh, I don't think there's any other announcements. The Lord's Supper is in two weeks. We have the call to worship. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Let us bow our hearts and heads in sound of preparation for worship. Let us pray. With these tithes and offerings, God above, we desire that it be used for the good of the kingdom of God, for those in need uh, within our church, Lord, for the expansion and the preaching of your word. Lord God, as your people, we gather here this morning thankful, thankful again to have a place to meet where other, play, other churches, uh, Christians do not have access to worship. We pray, Lord, and ask that we continue to have thus throughout the winter. We thank you, Lord, for your Goodness, we thank you for your might and power exercise in goodness towards us. Your might and power, Lord, exercise in creation and providence where you uphold all things and guide all things. And in your special providence, Lord, you have uh, guided us to a place that gives us access to worship morning and evening, God above. And the technology that we have, Lord, with uh, Zoom and the like for those who are at home, those who are sick, Lord, and the Internet access here for others, Lord, who don't have access to good worship services in their areas, God. We're thankful that we can help them. And so far as, Lord, we can uh, broadcast the preaching of your word to them. Gracious Spirit of Truth, we pray for our continued health. We thank you that most of us are indeed healthy, Lord, and even with the ailments that we have, uh, the winter sicknesses that come and uh, flu and coughs and dryness, God, <clears throat> that we are still relatively well and that we would overcome any uh, such sicknesses that may um, hold us back from work and fellowship. We pray, God, for those who have chronic ailments that we know of uh, over the many years that drag on and come and go upon them, Lord ask that you would be with them and help us to pray for them and to remember them throughout the week to encourage them, perhaps call or send letters. Lord, it's hard to have such chronic ailments. Um, there's a silent suffering that goes on often because it's for many, many, many years. We pray, Lord, that you would be with them and indeed even heal them and to their surprise. Nevertheless, God, thy will be done. That they would persevere, we pray in particular, Lord, that their spirit would not be crushed. We pray with respect to the crushing of our spirits, especially during this COVID uh, season, God, and the difficulties we find ourselves in, um, that is, legally and uh, with respect to all the, the laws and the like, God, and the, the difficulties therein. We pray in particular, Lord, for access to personal protection, uh, actual N95 masks that could be bought on Amazon before COVID. There are that plenteous. And after nine months, we still don't have them that plenteous anymore, Lord. There's not been any commandeering that I know of uh, factories. We pray that more would be done to help those who we know after nine months are high risk, God. 
and to protect them and to protect uh, the family members, Lord, who have end-of-life issues, that they would have access and they can go visit them more often, Lord. We're supposed to be a great and prosperous nation, and it seems, Lord, that our politicians, whoever they may be, uh, don't think in those terms, many of them, are not, are not acting collectively that way. We pray something along those lines would be done. Uh, and that things can go back to normal and quickly, God, uh, with proper consideration for those who are high risk. And there's a way to do that. We ask God above that we would persevere and we pray for uh, those, uh, Lord, in positions of authority and influence to uh, to uh, make a difference with respect to COVID to do thus, even if it's through the courts. We ask God in particular for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We are a small denomination. We don't have great resources, uh, like even small mega churches that are larger than our our denomination, Lord, all that money. We pray that we can do what we can for the kingdom of God at the General Assembly, at the Presbyterian local churches. We pray for the General Assembly of God and the committees there, the standing committees right now, uh, that they would do what they can do, even though General Assembly was canceled this year, that they could still continue to do the work of the kingdom. Various and sundry issues, Lord, we don't think about sometimes, Lord. They don't always directly impact us, but do impact the general, the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church as a whole, especially with respect to missions, uh, foreign missions and local missions and education, Lord. We ask God that uh, those men on those committees would continue to do what they can and have unity and have guidance by your word and natural revelation, Lord, to do what they can, to use the resources, to use their money and talents, God to fulfill their obligations, to do their duty and responsibility in hearts of love, Lord, for foreign missions, to know where to go and who to send and when, for home missions with the same request, Lord, that you would rise up and raise up godly men, uh, men who seek to preach the whole counsel of God, men who are bold like the apostles. We ask God that you'd be with the Committee on Education as well, Lord, uh, that they would have wisdom uh, to guard the gate, to, to give us words of encouragement and uh, resources to understand your word better in accordance to the truth therein. We pray, Lord, for those dealing with diaconal issues, uh, both for retired pastors uh, and for those with physical ailments and problems, Lord, that can't be dealt with locally or at the Presbyterian level, that they would have the funds and resources that they need, Lord, to help those in the household of faith, Lord, that the world may know that we love you and love your people. We are supposed to do good to all men, certainly, but especially the household of faith. And as resources dwindle, and time dwindles, Lord, may we again reprioritize the household of faith, the church of God, the body of Christ. Lord God above, we pray for our families. We lift up uh, the husband and the wives, Lord, that they will continue to do what they are called to do, which is, above all, to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another, uh, Lord, and that the husband would lead the wife and lead her in love and understand uh, where she uh, is and how she's different than a man and not treat her like a man. We pray for the wives, Lord, to stand uh, firm against the spirit of the age, and they would submit to their husbands, Lord, and show love towards them and support as helpmates uh, to do what needs to be done so that he can do his job to support and protect the family. We ask God you be with the parents of children, Lord, uh, again, during this daunting time in our history, uh, to protect them from wickedness on TV, on the Internet, uh, Lord, uh, from neighborhood kids, even. Uh, it's that bad now. Lord God, we ask that you would watch over them and watch over our covenant children, watch over the babies, Lord, that are among us, that are becoming toddlers, God, that they would love your word, they would learn your word, they would love the people of God and love Jesus Christ. Protect them, we pray, guide them. May their parents teach them their ABCs and their one, two, threes, uh, the basics of living in this world and the kingdom uh, uh, of this earth. 
in the best sense, Lord, the kingdom of man, that is, we have to live in society, we have to take care of one another, we have to have relations and businesses and friendship, Lord, and they need to grow up to uh, be intelligent and mature adults in that domain. We pray that they would. But above all, Lord, we pray. We pray for their souls, the saving of their souls. We ask, God, that you be with all of us, that you encourage us this day. Uh, your day, Lord, that we would cast aside all cares and considerations and to know the blessing of having the Lord's Day, a time to be with friends and families of God, to be with you especially, Lord. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We have the reading of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to our Bibles. To Acts chapter 28, Acts 28, verse 20. Acts 28, 20, let's listen attentively to the word of God. This is Paul speaking. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Let us pray. With these words, God, we see Paul pleading to the Jews of Rome in Italy. 
God. He pleads for their salvation. He pleads that they would trust and rest in Jesus Christ for salvation and not thinking that their circumcision or worship practices of the Old Testament will bring them to heaven. Lord God, he pleads and he says, it's because of the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. The Old Testament promises the hope of Israel, the hope of salvation, deliverance, and bringing them to heaven has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And Paul is bound to that reality as much as he is bound with these chains to Rome, God above. May we, Lord, have the hope of Israel. May it lighten our chains and the things that hold us down, although we know temporarily in this life. In your name alone we pray. Amen. In America, we were raised on the milk of liberty. We studied at the feet of freedom. Every day of every year, we hear that we are not bound but free. It is everywhere. In the advertisements, in the schools, in the businesses, in the speeches, or politicians. If you acknowledge that we can have freedom, political, social, economic liberty, while still being bound in chains. If you warn Americans that collective liberties are blinding them to their slavery. We all have chains. Everyone is bound to someone or something. It is what directs our desires, decisions, and directions in life. Sometimes we change one bondage for another. Even in one day, people do this. Christ talks about this with respect to ultimate issues. Our greatest goal in life, he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We must be chained to someone. We must serve someone. The unbeliever serves Satan. We serve God, although we do not have literal chains. We have moral ties to God greater than chains. And that means in this life we may find ourselves with earthly chains because we refuse to free ourselves from the golden chain of God's salvation in Christ. We may find ourselves with chains of burden, chains of difficulty, chains of hardship, to be sure, like Paul does. But it does not matter because we have a greater chain, the golden chain of salvation to God Almighty. That's what Paul is saying. Let us see how this is true in Paul's life and our life. Paul's chains, the first point. Paul's chains. The chains he found himself in were because of persecution by the Jews. Paul was forced into physical chains because he refused to free himself from God's golden chain in Jesus Christ. He refused to deny Jesus. And because of that, he's in chains. Because of his hope, his trust in God above, as shown in Jesus Christ. The fullness of the revelation. In the Old Testament, the Jews knew there was a seed to come. They knew there would be some kind of a Messiah. They asked John the Baptizer, remember, are you he? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? No, I'm not he. I'm one who points to Jesus. And so they were given lesser revelation, but a true revelation. When the fullness of it came, they were supposed to believe it. And when we have the fullness of the New Testament, and we believe we are blessed by God, and we are bound to that truth as Paul was bound to that truth. The chains of this world, of course, were nothing to him because he knew the chain, the golden chain of God's salvation in Christ. He even said he was bound by the Spirit at one time. The language here of being bound, Acts 20, verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. I am bound, he says, in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. It is God who binds me down this path, he says, and he's not going to find it, this kind of bondage he wants. The bound, the bounding, the bestness, the best of that idea to be bound to God 
above. And he knows he's going to go to physical chains. Except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. It is because of the hope of Israel, of the Messiah to come, who has indeed come in Jesus Christ, that he is willing to be bound in chains in this earth. That's what he's saying. He testifies this to the Jews because his heart's desire is that his fellow countrymen would be saved, as it is our desire that our fellow countrymen would be saved. He was free from the Jews, to be sure. They wished to grab him, beat him up, and even kill him, as we know. And yet he was bound by Rome. The Jews got the ball rolling and kept chasing him all the way to Rome. That's why he was still bound to Rome. So they were part of the problem, to be sure, although he doesn't make a point of blaming them, as you recall in his description here, talking uh, to the Jews of Rome who don't seem to know much of Paul or of this religion of Christianity of the New Testament. And... Acts, we read of the various persecutions that brought him to this final point of chains, the warnings, the threats, the political power plays, the imprisonments, the violence, and the stones, even stoning him, thinking him dead, even death itself. Peter was in jail, Paul was stoned, and we know Stephen was killed. Paul knows about bringing people in chains and coming after them and binding them down. Acts 8.1, remember? Now Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Paul was behind that. His old name was Saul. It was the first great persecution that began with the killing of Stephen. And it came from their own people. It came from the church. Think about it. That's the closest parallel. Because the Old Testament church was supposed to turn a new leaf. It was supposed to be transformed and let the Gentiles in. And they were fighting it. They didn't want that. And they killed Stephen over it. These kind of battles within the church, or this is doubly so because it was not only within the Old Testament church, becoming the New Testament church, it was among blood relations. It was a civil war, wasn't it? Those are the worst kind of wars. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He knew what it meant when the Spirit told him, you will go in chains to Rome, because he himself had done it. You and I can read about it, you and I can watch movies about it. We can extrapolate from our own experience about it. But to actually have it done it yourself and to know that it can happen to you, you know the process, you know the pain. It's not like they're having, you know, velvet gloves put on them. These are shackles. And you can't cry, oh, I hurt. Get my lawyer, please. He's hurt. Oh, no. <laughs> Paul knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew what it meant to be bound to Rome. And yet the hope of Israel let him survive that binding and that persecution and the suffering and the difficulties of life. Now, the Civil War that came upon the early church and the persecution, Paul knew what was happening because Paul himself did it. Of course, it was one side of the fair. And as for Saul, verse 3 of chapter 8, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women committed committing them to prison, dragging them off and away. Paul knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew, at least as far as 
earthly powers go, he was outnumbered. The church was outgunned by the Jews who had been there a long, long time, had connections with local politicians, had money, and had the mobs. And yet Paul still stood firm and strong and it said, because it is the hope of Israel, it is my faith, I am bound to God and I will do what is required of me no matter what comes at me. In Acts 5.28 we read, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name, the Sanhedrin said? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and tend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Peter knew what he was getting into. Paul knew what he was going to get into. They understand what it mean, means, what it meant at the time, and we ought to understand today what it means to follow Jesus, even if it means having chains. It's the pastor's possible chains himself, the calling, the closest to the apostles today would be the officers of the church, pastors in particular. They are the public face of the church, like Paul and Peter. They're the ones the leaders are going to go after. You cut off the head, they tell themselves, the body will wither. And of course we know that not to be the case with Jesus Christ's church, because Christ is the head of the church, and they cannot cut him off. His church will survive the gates of hell, brother and sister. Now, pastors must be aware and must have the same faith and hope as Paul does, the hope of Israel, even if they are bound in chains. They are the target of the church, as I said, historically. They would make examples of pastors to scare the flock. And therefore, those coming into the ministry must be strong men who care not for man's opinions if they go against God's opinion or God's truth. They must fear God above all. The pastor's chains, of course, they must be chained to God's kingdom, the golden chain of salvation to Jesus Christ. They must be bound to him and trust in him and believe in him. This may lead to physical chains. This may lead to economic chains of poverty. It may be social chains of mockery and humiliation and disrespect. That is, things that bind you and hold you down. You cannot progress. You are beaten down. That's what happens to pastors. Even if it's not physically, it happens socially, like I said, with humiliation and uh, disrespect and mockery or doxing. They're going to cancel you, right? Cancel culture on social media. Which means not just, oh no, you kicked off of Facebook. Uh, they will call your company and say, this person's a bad so-and-so. He's a racist. He's a whatever. And people have lost their jobs. And you can't imagine them doing that for pastors and getting a hold of their presbytery and finding something else, if they're clever enough, that the presbytery wouldn't be kind of, well, that's kind of interesting, to pray for strong presbyteries, to overlook uh, such games that could happen in the future. Pastors must be aware that we too may be like Paul, bound, although may, maybe not by physical chains to go off to jail, that could happen, but economic chains of poverty and social chains of mockery. Remember, the apostles themselves in Matthew 10.24 were reminded, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? He's speaking of you, of course, although the immediate audience are the disciples, the apostles. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and his servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, Satan, how much more would they call those of his household? If they have ridiculed and gone after Christ, you are nothing to them. right? We're just the foot soldiers. 
They're going to try to stample all, trample all over us, step all over us, and destroy us. They don't care. That's the argument Paul uh, Christ is telling his apostles and disciples, reminding them, they've come after me, they will come after you. And they did. Persecution did come upon Peter. We don't know exactly how they all died. Purportedly, Peter died crucified upside down. They're going to crucify him right side up. He said, if you do not crucify me right side up, I will be upside down for my my Lord and Master was crucified right side up. It was a show of humiliation. But that's tradition. We don't know how accurate it is. And uh, God didn't seem fit to tell us what would happen to the apostles, other than they knew what they were walking into. Paul knew what it meant to be bound by chains and other types of chains in life. Not just the leaders of the church, and pastors and elders and deacons may be persecuted by this world and bound by various and sundry chains. You too may be bound by chains, brothers and sisters. You too follow Jesus Christ. You are his servants and he is the master. And if they ridicule the master, and they do, and they hate him here in America, it's not going to be hard for them to ridicule you. Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. The picture of the cross is a picture of a burden. <clears throat> it is not the burden in the sense of, oh, I like to have a burden, I like to beat myself up or something like that, but the realization that you have to count the cost in following Jesus, and that cost includes the burden, various burdens of life, people who hate us for being Christians, people who ridicule us for taking the Lord's Day seriously. People who think we are mentally ill when we say that man over there who's cross-dressing is mentally ill. Everything is turned on its head. That's part of the burden of following Jesus. The miseries of this world that fall upon us because we follow Jesus. Laughed at by our co-workers, mocked by our friends, derided by our families. When we follow Jesus, we follow him all the way, knowing that there can be and will be the burdens. Other burdens that we're aware of, of course, are the burdens of sin, fighting against sin, being aware of sin, struggling against our own inclinations towards sin. That's part of the cross, to be sure. But here, I wanted to highlight and remind us that we too may have physical chains one day. I pray not. Economic chains, because, hey, you're not going to go to that... HR training course, human resources training course, and sign the affidavit that you hate white people and Christians or Americans or whatever. You're like, no, you hate Christ. You could become a second-rate citizen. It's possible in our lifetime, it seems. I pray not, but that's a possible chain, a burden across upon us. And if we have the hope of Israel, those chains become light. Not as though... It's not real. I'm not saying, oh, no, you're not going to have times of depression or sadness or crying. Sure you will. You are human. You are Christians. You are sinners struggling against the things of this world. But it will be light in comparison to the bondage of following the world and giving up Jesus. The economic chains of poverty are real for many Christians. We are finding out they're losing their jobs. The social chains of humiliation, isolation, and mockery are real. The courage of Paul, I pray, becomes our courage, brothers and sisters. A willingness to carry the burden of Jesus Christ, the cross he warned them and warns us about. And how can we do that? The same way Paul carried his chains, his physical chains. 
the shackles upon his hands with the hope of Israel. It is the hope of Israel that he is able to stand there and with confidence and joy tell them about the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, the saving of their souls, the assuaging of their guilty consciences. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, my fellow Jews, he's basically saying, my brothers of Israel, my blood relations, to see you, to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with these chains. It is because I believe in Jesus Christ, I am going to Rome. The Old Testament faith is now a New Testament reality. They look from afar, and we look much closer now. We see Jesus for who he really is because of the New Testament revelation. Now, what's interesting is the phrase, the hope of Israel, is used two or three times in the Old Testament. We have in Jeremiah 14.8, and then again in Jeremiah 17.3. You have other places that talk about Israel should have hope, or Israel's hope is in the Lord, and the things like that, but the hope of Israel is not actually used very often. It is the hope of God's people, as we know. It's the gospel promise. It's believing in the Messiah to come. For the covenant of grace was revealed to Israel of old. The promise of the seed, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of a new king, a prophet, and a priest even, was their hope. That is the hope of all the godly of the Old Testament. Abraham, Moses, David, and everyone in between. The big difference in the New Testament revelation to the old is that there is not a difference in salvation, but a difference of revelation. That now Gentiles, as Gentiles, can stay Gentiles. We know in the Old Testament, Gentiles could be saved. The way they were saved is they would be circumcised, they would confess Christ, and they would join the Jewish church, the Old Testament church. They had to follow the Jewish forms of worship, the Jewish forms of eating, the Jewish forms of clothing. And God said, no more. That's done away with. All that was preparation to train you and teach you of holiness and to point ultimately to Jesus Christ who was the great Holy One for His people. The hope of Israel is the hope of the Gentiles, in fact. So Paul finally gets at in these verses. And later on, when in frustration, he tells them, okay... Fine. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Verse 28. Romans 5.12, we read, and Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. What is that but the hope of the Gentiles? Prophesied in the Old Testament. Paul didn't see it initially, as we know. Peter didn't see it. They were stuck on Jesus taking over Rome and bringing victory to them. Remember? They couldn't fully grasp what Christ was up to. That's why Christ rebuked Peter when Peter was upset about Jesus dying. (laughs) No way I would die for you. No way you should die. Jesus is like, no, I have to die. You still don't get it, do you? That is the hope the hope of Israel, not just the Old Testament saints, but the hope of the New Testament church, the New Testament Israel. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope is part of faith and trust. That is, it's forward-looking faith. 
right? You're hoping for the day for Jesus to return and right every wrong and wipe away sin and deliver us from our ailments and sicknesses and deliver us ultimately from Satan in this wicked world. Paul's chains and the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel makes light the chains that Paul carries and should make light the chains that we carry. The church looks to Jesus and his second coming. The things of this world can bog us down and drown us in sorrow, chain us down. There's not much you can do about it. I mean, economically and socially, there's very little you can do. You can't get a job, you can't get a job. You try your hardest as a Christian, and like closing the door on you. Or your reputation is thrown in the can. These things haven't gone widespread, and I pray they never will, but they could. These are possible crosses and burdens we have to bear. And we can because we have the hope of Israel. We have the hope of the church. A forward-looking faith that looks to the time when Christ Jesus will deliver us from all these chains. God tells us to look up and out to the future where there is a better tomorrow, brothers and sisters. The present is passing. The future is yet to come. What is that hope? First Peter 1.18, we read, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And so like Paul, we too can carry the cross of Christ, the chains and burdens of this world, standing tall, knowing that Jesus has covered our sins, has died for us, and we have hope that there will be a better tomorrow. The hope is not... As I grew up with the phrase, and it's used sometimes this way, kind of like, you hope against hope. You know, the odds are against me, and I hope things work out well somehow. You see that in the movies, right? You think it's going to work out well? You think we're going to survive this invasion? I hope so. No, that's not the hope of it's the last straw. It's the hope of confidence that Christ is coming, and things will get better, and justice shall be served, and sin shall be fully eradicated. That's the hope of Israel, brothers and sisters. That is our hope. We're not redeemed by the things of this world. We do not long for the things of this world. We are destined and long for a better place, a better home. And that's comforting when loved ones die. When loved ones are dying right now, as we have another member in our church infected with COVID. That's his hope. And it's our hope, even though we have the chains of 2020 Shackling us down. Your hope, our hope, the hope of Israel, Paul's hope, that Jesus saves our souls here and now, and is coming back to make things even better, to create a new heaven and a new earth, wherein all chains shall be shattered, brothers and sisters. And the golden chain of salvation will never be shattered. It will be fully complete in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, God above, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the strong stance of Paul, inspired by your spirit with these words we read. Because of the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And may we echo with him, because of the hope of Israel, we are bound with the chains that we have in this world, Lord. We wish they were gone. We wish they were eased. We wish they were shattered. But they will be shattered in your time, Lord. We have that hope. We have that confidence, God above. In your name alone we pray. Amen.